0: Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. School is in full swing, and so the buses are running and crosswalks we have to be more careful of now, and basketball practice and marching band practice, and moms crying for the first week when their kindergartner gets on the bus, and all those other things that come with the start of school, right? Uh, Also, test-taking. And I was a terrible test taker. And it's probably because I wasn't prepared or I crammed at the last minute, but also because I got terribly nervous when it was test time. I remember the test I hated the worst was in undergrad under Dr. Lewis Foster. Dr. Foster had been trained at Yale and Harvard. He was the dean of the graduate school. He was a brilliant man, a gentle-spirited man, one of most godly men I've ever met in my life. And he taught one undergrad class and that was New Testament survey. So every Friday we had a quiz, 20 true false questions. Now, you might think, well, you can at least guess, and you have a 50% chance of getting it right. Well, Dr. Foster, if you put an answer and it was wrong, you got double off. So suddenly, I wasn't so sure about things, right? There were a lot of question marks, and sadly, I left a lot of blanks during those years. I hated those Fridays because of that. And He had a way of framing questions that were like tricky, and you better know your stuff. Well, you know, in the Christian journey, there is one question that keeps coming back to us all the time. It could be stated as a true, false statement or a question. It goes something like this. Do you know you're saved? Do you know you're saved? And I find in my experience, a lot of people have a hard time answering that. First of all, because they know the continual struggle. And they thought, well, they think you, I, you know, they'll say things like, well, I hope so. Well, if it's a Sunday, I probably will be, you know, or if it's Friday night, maybe not, you know, or midweek, whatever. Or, or they go the other extreme. Well, I don't want to be too presumptuous and say, oh, absolutely, because that, that sounds pretty cocky and arrogant. Yes, it's a worthy question. The first, verse 3 of our text says, we know... That we've come to know him. We know that we've come to know him. It's a claim that is possible to make. Because to be a follower of Jesus is to be able to say, I know God. I know him. It, the, the kind of knowledge that John is writing about is intimate knowledge. It is participatory knowledge. It is full knowledge. It is understanding of who he is and being in a relationship with him. John's writing to an audience in the end of the first century where there is false doctrine threatening the church. A doctrine that says all flesh is, all matter is evil, all spirit is good. It's a, it's a doctrine that is undermining the identity of Jesus and they're, 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 that, that new doctrine, that false doctrine was suggesting that Jesus uh, isn't really fully human. You know, yeah, he's deity or, 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 the, or the converse they struggle with. But really more than anything, they just they can't believe if, if, if this could be Jesus dying on the cross, it didn't fit them. And so they were messing up his messing with his identity and who he is. And and how to live, and so what? That happens whenever you start flirting with anything outside solid teaching of Scripture. It's going to create an an imbalance. It's going to it's going to make you shaky in a foundation. So John is writing to clear the air. He uses the word "no" some thirty times in these five chapters. Because he is fighting this Gnosticism that you have to know a mystery language. there's a secret language. There are passwords you need to know. And you don't know enough. And you're, you don't really have the whole story. And it was, it was, it was causing them to mistrust what they've been taught. How, how can you know that you know? So what's great about this is then he, when John's writing, he wants his audience, first century, and us to have assurance that we can know that we know him. And there are three tests that arise from our text. The first one is, how do you live? How do you live? Whoever says, verse 4, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live him must live as Jesus did. Notice he uses these words, know and truth, and then he translates them into the behavior of our lives. And if you want, want to know if somebody truly is a relationship with Christ, John says, don't just ask what they believe, look at how they live. Now, in fact, John says if someone claims to be a Christian, but they're not behaving Christian, then they're liars. Yikes. It's pretty harsh to call somebody a liar. But John is about obeying God's commands. Unfortunately, there are a lot of contemporary Christians, Christ followers, they say, who do not live as Christ lived. Now, I'm not talking about how we all sin. We all do sin. Anybody who follows any of us around will be able to point things to us this week. If they could read our hearts and they could read our minds and watch our behaviors, are we always acting like Jesus? No, we're not, sadly. But we want to. That's the desire of our heart. Is that the desire of your heart that you really want to be fully obedient to the Lord? Sometimes it's a matter we're just not self-aware. We don't understand the sin we're committing. We don't understand the example we're setting. We don't understand something is even a sin that we're displaying. Barna did, a, did this survey a number of years ago, probably 10 years ago, maybe more now. But he studied um, uh, believers who believe solely this is the word of God and believe Jesus is the only savior of the world and, and surveyed unbelievers as well. And found over a 30 day period, the, 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 the people who claimed to be followers of Christ committed the same kinds of sins as those who weren't following Christ. And of course, that's a problem. That's a problem when we announce our message. To know we are saved is to walk as Jesus walked, to be continually changing. People know that you know God by your character, your behavior, our distinctive lifestyle. They ought to be able to tell that. He says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So, I know what this makes us think, well, man, we can think of this week how we failed him. A conversation that didn't go right. I had a conversation with somebody this week that failed miserably. She told me I, I offended her. I mean, the last thing I want to do is ever offend anyone. But I said something that provoked her and drew her away from Christ rather than close. And it, it troubles me. I, I still think about her all the time. There's nothing I, can, I think I can do at this time. But, you know, we all can say that. What behaviors we had, someone caught us on the carpet for something. Yes. So, m- m- the point is, John is saying that bit by bit, incremental changes ought to be being made. That there is a growth pattern in our lives. That there is a- accountability to the Scripture and to the Spirit of Christ. Are we walking as Jesus walked in an increasing way? Do we find ourselves making progress? Are you less irritable than you once were? Are you less impatient than you were uh, before? Is your tongue more under control than it once was? Are you less fearful? Are you less moody? Are you more compassionate? Are you more understanding? Are you more peaceful? Are you more joyful? Are, Are you stronger in your convictions? Are you better at testifying what Christ has done in your life? Are you more self-controlled than you were a year ago or five years ago? Um, If you don't know, ask somebody. Ask them what they think when you ask those questions. Maybe your husband, your wife, or the closest friend you have, or someone who watches you live. We do sin, but John is saying it should be obvious that less and less sin is present in your life, and that people have a hard time pointing anything out about you that is really an ungodly behavior. The habitual sinning is increasingly dismissed from your life. There's a new pattern of behavior. Now, he says, did you notice he says here, uh, love for God, anyone who obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. So so here's the bottom line. Do you have a desire to obey? Not so much because of the fear of punishment, but because you love God. You know, in our our relationships in marriage, we, we refrain from certain behaviors. Why? Not because we're going to be in the doghouse if we do, but because we love the one we're married to. And we want to be pleasing as a spouse, right? It's the same thing in our relationship with Jesus, it's not because I'm going to be sent to hell that I'm not doing that. Is that a motivation? Yes. But it's not the best motivation. The best motivation is because I've been so loved and he has given me a new life. And I love this one who has saved me and I want to obey him. When the Roman emperor Domitian had a, had a preacher standing before him being charged with preaching the gospel... He was deliberating on how to, um, how to punish him. He, he said to his advisors, I, I will take away all his possessions. And they said, that will do no good because Christians don't care about possessions. And they talk about treasure in heaven. Well, then I will, I will put him in solitary confinement. That won't matter to him, they said, because they love to spend hours in prayer and meditation. Well, then I'll just kill him. Well, that won't bother believers either because they know there's something better waiting for them and they long for their place. They call it home. And they said to him, the best way to punish him is to make him sin. Do you hurt when you sin? Do you hurt when you realize that you have offended your creator and savior? That's what we want to grow in. And we hate sin. And we run from it. The second test question is How do you love? How do you love? Verse 7 Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard, yet I'm writing a new command. It is, its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing, the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister, is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. There is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. So a person who says, I know God, but is harsh toward people, is critical of others, is gossipy of others, who is always talking someone down, is maligning people, is undermining people, It doesn't see the intrinsic worth of a person. That is just not loving people. John recorded Jesus' words earlier in the gospel, John 13, 34, where Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's an intriguing statement. Jesus' audience would have been Jewish audience for 1,400 years. The Jews knew that statement. It's found in Leviticus, the law of Moses in the Old Testament. That was a new, yet Jesus said, this is a new command I've given you. That's what John is saying here. What, what, what is this new, why is that a new command? John Stott suggests four ways this is a new command to love one another, love your neighbors, yourself. First, it's new in emphasis. Jesus said, when he made that statement in John 13, that this is the summary of all the Old Testament scriptures. In other words, we don't need the Old Testament to be saved. We love the Old Testament. We vow, we love studying it. Everything is learned. But I don't, we don't need the Old Testament. But fr- frankly, Jesus says, you want to know really what it's all about? It, the Old Testament is just about loving people and loving God. That's what it's about. And so we have stories that teach us about that in the Old Testament, real things that happen. So it's new in emphasis. It's new in quality as well because Jesus demonstrated This new understanding of love by his his supreme sacrifice on the cross. Nobody has loved us to this degree. And so the quality is richer. It's new in extent because there are no boundaries as to whom we love. Now, they're never supposed to be. So we're so good at building them and I was so convicted and my sinful heart was exposed years ago when I was reading First John and I got to this about loving your brother. You know what my question was? Well, now who is my brother? And I suddenly sounded suspiciously like a lawyer who came to Jesus one time and said, well, who is my neighbor trying to justify himself? And I was looking for some boundaries, I think, even though I didn't recognize it at the time very clearly or before that time that I wanted a definition on who my brother was is it somebody who follows Jesus or, or everybody the bottom line is it doesn't matter we're to love all people to a new life in Christ and we're to love people within the family of God in a special unique way I have any walls Is there certain people, I refuse to love that woman. I hope it's not your wife. Uh, I refuse to love that guy. I refuse to, I had him in my life. I want nothing to do with him anymore. It's hard to love beyond boundaries. It's new in apprehension. Because we never arrive. No, No matter how much I grow in love, to people, I still see in myself these things that come up that are not loving things. A prejudgment of externals or, or an experience with somebody, and I keep them pigeonholed, and I, I think I have forgiven, and then I, I dodge them at Kroger, and I know I haven't forgiven them. You know what I mean? You ever happen to you? And he's staring at me like it doesn't. I know you're, you're as bad as I am, aren't you? Please say you are. It's hard to love. And that's why when the world can point us out when we're not loving, it does a great disservice to the name of the Lord. So let's keep going. Let's keep trying. Let's keep working. Let's keep praying about it. Let's keep clinging to the heart of God, the heart of Jesus, so that we can be transformed by him. Now, there is a special love toward those in the body of Christ. You know, there, there is a unique love to those of us who share faith. So for a couple of questions. Do you find friendships with Christians satisfying? As satisfying in a way... Uh, that, that 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 there is something quickening there. There's something just really special about those with whom you share the faith. Are the people in your circle whose only point of connection is that you share the faith? In other words, there's some of us that are here together. There is no common ground among any of us. There's some of you in here, I can't relate to you at all. You are so smart, I don't want to have a conversation with you. I'll be exposed. You know, or, or some of you who have an interest, and I am a blank slate. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. And the only reason we should be together is we share our love for Jesus. And that's what binds us together. Are you staying reconciled with people? Or do you hold grudges in your heart? Unforgiving spirit in your In your heart? John wrote earlier in verse 3 of chapter 1, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. See, if two people who claim to be Christ followers are out of fellowship because of something, somebody is not in fellowship with God. Because you're in rich fellowship with God, you can't stand that to be hanging there and you're going as far as it goes upon, as far as it depends on you, you're going to build that bridge. Now, you can't make it happen. The other person has to be willing. But somebody is out of fellowship with God if if an an unreconciled situation goes unreconciled, all right? He says, we we know we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. That's pretty clear, isn't it? When we are born again, we pass from death to life. We pass from darkness to light. We pass from being dead to being found. Now, somebody has said to me along the way, more than one person has said, well, you know, I've just always been a Christian. No, you haven't. There came a time in your life when you recognized I don't have the answers to my life and I am not the person I need to be and I'm tired of living in confusion and without answers and what I see in my life are are sins and offenses and I need those taken care of the ways I offended the God who made me and we were born again in the waters of baptism. That's what happened. We were resurrected. So one of the evidences of this resurrected life is this love we have. Now, John says that if you say you're in the light but you hate your brother, that, that you're still in darkness. Now, I know when we talk, of, when we, we, we mention the word hate, it, we immediately think of like the news today, hate crimes. And we think of um, hate mongers That we see in the news every day. We get weary of it. But you know, there's a passive kind of hate too, that we wouldn't call hate, but in essence, it's kind of what it is. So somebody took 1 Corinthians 13, that great love section, and countered it with hate. Here's how it comes out Hatred is impatient, hatred is mean, hatred is jealous, hatred is boastful, it is proud, hatred is rude. It is totally selfish. Hatred gets angry easily. Hatred keeps a record of every wrong. Hatred delights in evil and rejoices in lies. Hatred hurts. Hatred mistrusts. Hatred gives up on people. Hatred always fails. Maybe we need to go over that again this week sometime and examine our lives. The third test is what do you believe? What do you believe? Verses 1 and 2 of the chapter again, my dear children, I write this to you so you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. I recall going to a a workshop probably 35 years ago, maybe 40, and there were theologians on this panel and I don't know what they were talking about. Maybe I didn't understand at the time. I don't know. It was real eggheadish, you know. And then at the end, they opened for questions. And this dear little godly woman stood up and said, well, I just think we ought to love each other. And everybody just stared at her. Like, bless your heart, sit down, you know. Because what she was doing was basically saying, you know, I don't care about any of that. I just want to love Now, obviously, Jesus said, makes a big deal about love, doesn't he? He said, it's all about this. Love God with everything you have and love people. Now, are you confused beyond that what Christian life should look like? Most of us are. You know, the rest of it's a journey. But when you come to Christ, that's what you have to know, that he expects you to grow in your love for him and your love for people and that you're a sinner in deep need of who he is. You don't have to know a whole lot. That Jesus Christ died for your sins. And he calls you to a new life, right? We grow from that. Now, uh, I'm so afraid you're not going to hear me right, but I'm going to say it anyway. Don't mishear me. If you have one of those signs in your yard that says "Just be kind," don't take it down. I'm not saying that. Okay, leave it there. It's a great statement, but we confuse things like that and cliches of the of the of the culture with. With, with being all we need to be. And that's, that's not true. I mean, being kind as followers of Jesus, you have to be told that? I mean, that should go without saying for crying out loud. But the private message is if we could just be nice to each other, everything would be okay. And it would not be okay. Because we have a God who reigns and we have a Christ, a Lord, who is coming back to get, receive, receive us to himself and the only way we can go to be where he is is by putting our trust in his work on the cross, the one who laid down his life for us. What I'm trying to say is there are certain people who want to live a doctrine-less Christianity and we can't do that. It is, it is sound doctrine that helps us be better in all these ways. You see, it's the kindness of God that motivates us to forgive. It's the kindness of God that motivates us to love the unlovely and the unlovable and the hard to reach and the outsider. Why? Because at one time we were the outsiders and Christ saw us and he died for us while we were still in our sinning condition. It's kindness that calls us to be servant leaders at our workplace and to bless people and to, and, to, and, to, and, to, and to invest in people and love people well. It's the kindness of God that motivates us to be generous with our money and our time and our energy because Christ has been so generous to us. You see, it's not enough to say, well, let's just love everybody. No, why can't we just be kind to everybody? No, it's deep, being deeper in the person of Jesus that establishes us firmly and drives us to those places and those areas that we would never go just by the flesh. Now, you remember taking those tests in school and you got, you got halfway through and thought, I am bombing this. I do not want to get that test back. And you hope when you got it back, he, he or she didn't hand it to you so everybody could see it, right? Well, I'm wondering if John doesn't feel a little about that way while he's writing his letter. Because this is what he writes next I'm writing to you dear children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil. What is this? It doesn't even sound like it fits. He sounds right now like a pastor leading the sheep, his flock, as, as a grandfather who wants to encourage his grandkids. A a man of faith who is afraid the readers of the letter are going to think, man, I'm really discouraged. I am not, I am bombing out. No, look, he says, "To to you children, in other words, you who are new in the faith, remember your sins are forgiven. Some of you here today, are still new in your faith. Maybe you're just barely sitting up. Maybe you're a toddler and you keep falling down. But in these early stages of your faith, remember, you're just starting out. And it's hard to even, you don't even know what sin is necessarily. You haven't even been that self-aware yet long enough to know something is in your life. But be encouraged. Whatever, Whatever you're going to discover, you know, as you grow, you know, it's... Christ has died for those sins. So, so take heart. Uh, for those of you, remember you, you who are, you are little, little, been with Christ a little longer, young men, young women. Th- those of you maybe on the other side of adolescence and young adulthood. You've done better. You've been with him a little longer, but you're still, you're still not where you are and you still fail too much and and you ought, to be, you ought to know the Bible better by now, and your prayer life ought to be better. And you wonder, am I ever, ever going to get this? And I still don't know how to answer certain questions. I don't, still know, I don't understand the Holy Spirit. You, know, you have a lot of things. Be encouraged. You, you've come to know God. You, you've, you, I mean, i mean, sorry. Remember, you've overcome. You've overcome. You, you've come this far. Now, now, just remember that. Don't focus on what you don't have together. Just start naming the ways you've overcome. And you've grown in your in your new life with Christ. Measure those. How are you in your prayer life? How are you in your journey? Where are you in your journey? And you who are fathers or mothers, you know, those of you who are mature in faith, I mean, you you are the people who've lived with the Lord the longest. You've been through crises in your life, you've been through health crises, you've been through financial fallout, you've lost jobs, you've had miscarriages, you've had marriage struggles. You have all kinds of hurts in your life. You've got scars to show. But look, you're still here. And you've known the one who was from the beginning, who you met, and he's continued to be faithful to you. And you have shown your faith through. You're still clinging on to him, even with the things that aren't sorted out perfectly yet. Don't you love it? That's the kind of God we serve today, brothers and sisters. Wherever you are in faith, maybe you came in here discouraged today. Maybe you came in, you had a stellar week. Or maybe you're just on the brink of a disaster, you know, or or you're you're scared of what's coming in the next month. I I don't know. But be encouraged. Wherever you are in the test-taking process, just know you have an advocate. In Jesus Christ, he is always your best cheerleader. Nobody is more for you than him. We have this longing within us, you know. We have this longing in us, this, this vacancy, this hole. That is hard to describe. C.S. Lewis wrote about the rumblings within us, this deep desire, this frustration to figure out so much that, that we, we don't know what to do with. It's a digger. It's a desire that's so deep, it's so profound that even C.S. Lewis couldn't find a word for it. He didn't, he didn't know what to do with it. He talks about it in his writings. He talks about beauty. He talks about joy. But he said, that's not really what I'm talking about. It's something that he could not find, a word in the English vocabulary that describes this yearning, this deep yearning of the soul. The closest word he could find was a German word, sensacht, sensacht. I don't speak German very well. That's the best I can do. It's hard to define, but that word is sinsucht. Uh, combines the ideas of wanting something that is deeply missing. This angst in the human soul. He describes it as the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we've never heard, news from a country we've never visited. I want you to know... That longing, that deep desire is only fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And if you know what I'm talking about and you know what that satisfaction is all about, that yearning that has been satisfied, that hole that's been filled, praise God, you are walking with Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are real and true and you exist and you've made your existence known by creation, by the testimony of scripture and the eyewitness accounts, and by the longing of our own hearts within us. And I thank you, Father. I thank you that you have met us where we are. And even today, Father, no matter who is here today, you have a love for them, a love for all of us. That is immeasurable. And I thank you, Father, for this journey of faith we're on. We're all in different stages of growth, maturity. But I thank you for the living Christ and for what he's done for us, that we may be together in the name of the Lord. In him we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.